So we are in the middle of our sermon series called Christ-Centered Relationships, where we are discovering how the gospel of Jesus Christ impacts not just your personal salvation, but your everyday relationships. And this is so important because a lot of us, when we think about the gospel, we understand what it does for our past, how it forgives us for our past sins. We understand what it does for our future, how we have hope because one day Jesus is going to return and we will be in heaven if we believe in Jesus. But a lot of us, we struggle to see how exactly the gospel plays out in our present life. We wonder if God's grace is sufficient for our present life. We understand that it's sufficient for our past. We understand that it's sufficient for our future. But sometimes it's really difficult to believe that God's grace is sufficient for our present, especially when you are going through a lot in relationships. And so the past couple of weeks, we've been tackling this difficult topic. And I think it's important for us to just kind of do a quick recap of why we are dealing with this issue. Back in Genesis 1 and 2, we said that people are uniquely created by God in his image, according to his likeness. All the other plants, the animals, the the sea creatures, the Bible says those things are created according to its kind. But when it comes to people, God says, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. So something about people uniquely reflects God's glory, who he is, and because we are created in God's likeness, we are able to relate to God. I mean, I, I love dogs, and um, I, I, I had uh, a couple dogs, a family dogs in the past too, but I can be friendly with dogs, but I can't relate to dogs the way I can relate to my wife, right? That would be weird if I can relate better with dogs than my wife because, you know, we are the same kind. Dogs relate to dogs. Cats relate to cats. There could be some level of friendliness and understanding, but in general, people relate to others that are created in in their own likeness. When God says, you are created in my likeness, in my image, what he is saying is, you can relate to me. That it is possible for us to have a real, genuine relationship. And so with this, he also says, not only do you relate to me, but you reflect me in a way how I am relational in my being. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they exist in this holy community called the Trinity. And God says, just like that, I want you to live in community. So vertically, we relate to God. Horizontally, we relate to one another. And that's why relationships are so important. But here's the bad news. We talked about Genesis 1, 2, but when you go to Genesis 3, something happens where sin enters into the world. People rebel against God. God sets some standards. He says, if you just obey my commands, if you let me decide what's good and evil, if you just follow what is right in my eyes, then you'll be okay. You can have everything in this garden. And yet sin enters into the world. People rebel. They disregard the provision, the protection, the perfect rule and reign of God. Instead, they make a statement by taking the the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, saying, God, I do not need you. I do not want you. I think I can live life without you. That was the statement that was made in the garden. And as a result, not only 
did, did sin kind of break our vertical relationship with God, where we are separated from God. But if you read Genesis chapter 4 all the way to chapter 9, you're going to realize that sin breaks our horizontal relationships. The first thing that we see as the curse of sin is husbands and wives no longer try to complement one another to do the work of God. Rather, they compete with one another. We also see in Genesis chapter 4 that a guy kills his own brother out of jealousy. We see in Genesis 6 that people, instead of embracing the sanctity of marriage, they embrace this um, sexual immorality. In Genesis chapter 9, we see that Noah is dishonored by his own son. Just in a few chapters, every possible human relationship we see is completely broken. And that's why relationships are so difficult. It's not that God made a mistake when he gave us these relationships. God is the creator of relationships. However, sin is the destroyer of relationships. Instead of living in a way that relationships are centered around God, what sin does is it makes us live out our relationships centered around ourselves. But the good news is that God does not leave us in our sin. He does not leave us in our brokenness, but he sends his one and only son to die for our sins, to restore our lives, to be the perfect sacrifice by living the perfect life and giving up his life on the cross. He pays the ultimate punishment, the penalty for our sins. He defeats death so that we can have future hope. And when we believe in him, not only do we have a new life, but God says, I'm going to restore your relationships. The gospel has power not just to save you, but to transform you. Do you believe that? And that's what, Gen- uh, that's what Ephesians is all about. In chapter 1, 2, and 3, what Paul talks about is the wonders of, of salvation. He says the source of salvation, the beauty of salvation is played out in Christ. So he talks about salvation and how the gospel is the source. When you come to Genesis chapter 4, He says, if you believe in this gospel, then walk in a way that is worthy of God's calling. If God called you out of sin into light, if God calls you your own, his own, then he says, walk in a manner worthy of God's calling. And it is in this context, God gives us the command, children, obey your parents, parents, raise your children in the way of the Lord. Now, compared to the commandments uh, for husbands and wives, you have noticed that these commandments are fairly short, but they are so packed with truth. Um, I think what we're going to do is today, we're just going to tackle half of it. We're going to talk about how parents should relate to children. And maybe down the road, we'll talk about how children should relate to parents. Now, this does not mean if you have children, you can now doze off and you can uh, kind of wander um, on your phone, because I believe that parenting, gospel parenting, godly parenting is so important for everyone. Well, first of all, most likely, uh, a lot of you guys are going to become one day a parent, and so it's not a bad idea to get a head start. Uh, a lot of people say that uh, the, the real parenting, the way that your child is formed, the first five years, it is critical. And I wish I knew that because when I was thrown into parenting, I had no clue what I was doing. I wish I had a better understanding of God's plan for parenting. And so you can have a head start when it comes to parenting. One day, hopefully, you will become a parent. 
The second reason why parenting is important is parenting is a form of discipleship. Now, we know that Paul was a single guy. He was a single man. He was never married. However, he has a son, a spiritual son called Timothy. And so although Timothy is not his biological son, he has a spiritual son. And what that means is although you might not have a biological son or daughter today, but hopefully you have spiritual sons and daughters who you are discipling, who you are influencing who you are cultivating so that they will become more like Christ. So the principles that we talk about in godly gospel parenting, those things can be applied to any type of discipleship because at the end of the day, parenting is discipleship. The last thing I want us to know is if you understand gospel parenting, you will understand who God is. You'll have a better understanding of his grace, a better understanding of his mercy. So with that, let's jump into verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So, quick point. The first thing that we see is children do not belong to parents, they belong to God. Children do not belong to their parents, they belong to God. A lot of parents say, well, my children, I gave birth to them, I pay for their, their, their food, I provide for them, I protect them, I work hard for them, I pay all the bills, therefore, don't tell me how to parent my child. I'll do me. I have my own way. You have your own way, I have my own way. Don't bother to give me any advice. A lot of parents have a lot of pride in their parenting, but the truth is, the Bible tells us that children are not the possession of parents, rather, God graciously gives children to parents so that they can be stewards of God's grace. Notice that in today's verse, it says parents doesn't say raise your children in your own way, but it says in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. In other words, the way that you raise your children has to correlate with the way that God laid out in his word. If I work for Menya Hosaki, I can't just do things my way, right? I got to follow the boss. No, I got to wash the dishes the way that, uh, that, that Eric wants. I got to make noodles the way that Eric wants. You know, if I just do my own thing, then, uh, then I get in trouble because I'm not the owner. Eric can do that, not me. And when we talk about parenting, we have to understand that parents are not the owners. We are simply stewards for a season of our children's life. God says this very clearly in Psalms 127, verse 3. He says, children are a heritage, a gift from the Lord. Parents, remember that children are not your possession. That means they do not exist so that you can get a tax break. They do not exist so that you can feel completed. They do not exist so that you can put photos on Instagram and have people marvel at your children. It does not mean they could serve you and give you water when you need it. It does not mean that you can live out your dreams through them. It does not mean you can find your identity in them. When you believe that children are a gift from God, where you are stewarding for a season, you don't take ownership over them, but you become a steward and try to raise them up in the most godly way, in the most biblical way possible, because you know that they belong to the Lord. So children do not belong to their parents. They belong to God. Second point, parents are not just caretakers. They are disciple makers. Parents are not just caretakers. They are disciple 
makers. Now, notice in today's verse, in verse 4, it starts out with fathers, but really that Greek word, in a broader sense, it could mean parents, actually. In Hebrews 11, um, it's translated as parents. And so although the verse is recognizing that uh, the father does have this responsibility to take the lead in parenting, it's also recognizing that fathers, you can't just go out, win bread, make money, come home and watch TV. That you can't just leave parenting up to the mom or someone else or your grandparents. You are responsible for your God-given responsibility as a parent. The Bible is very clear. It says, actively raise your children in discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, you know, sometimes I ask our youth, youth kids, um, so how's your parent? Uh, how's your relationship with your, with your mom or, or dad? And most of them would say, it's great. It's good. I couldn't ask for more. Um, and I asked, okay, so what's good about your, your parents? And most of them, again, will respond, well, they, they buy me things that I want, they care for me, and they let me do whatever I want to do. That's the definition of a good parent today to teenagers. A parent, a good parent is a parent that's like a friend. A parent that does not bother me, a parent that does not care about my business. Rather, if I need stuff, I can go to my parent and they'll provide. If I want them to give me advice, they'll give me advice. But at the end of the day, they just exist for my convenience. The moment that they try to step into my world, in my life, give advice, say stuff, that's when they become a bad parent. But notice, when you embrace God's given calling to disciple your child, you would end up saying stuff that your child does not want to hear. And you would have to teach them things that they do not want to adapt. Parenting is discipleship. You know, we, we always try to baby our children and, and raise them up in a way that, that they'll be happy and satisfied. But what God says is, the happiness of your child is not a priority. It's their faithfulness to the Lord that you should be concerned about. Teach them, raise them, just like the Great Commission. Make disciples of all nations, and that includes your children. Provide for them, but also remember to teach them all that the Lord has commanded. Parenting is a call for discipleship. This is laid out in Deuteronomy 6 when we talk about the greatest commandment, which Jesus quotes in the Gospels. It says in Deuteronomy 6, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And this is when things get very difficult. Because what God is asking you to do as a parent is not just teach a Bible study lesson, not just to, you know, quote scripture here and there. What God is calling parents to do is something deeper than that. that it's not information. He's asking you to, tra- to work for transformation. Right? He's saying, teach your children how to love the Lord. Teach your children to walk in the ways of the Lord, not just up here, but down here. So children do not belong to the parents, they belong to God. Parents are not just caretakers, they are disciple 
makers. And this sounds all nice, and hopefully this is a review to you. But here, here's the real deal. Um, last December, it was getting close to Christmas time, so we had a Christmas tree, a new Christmas tree, I would say, a very beautiful one that my wife put together. We had a lot of presents, thanks to a lot of you guys and, and out of your generosity. Uh, I don't think I bought a present for Timothy, but you know, somehow there was a lot of presents underneath the tree. And, and it was a crazy time for me in ministry because uh, I was preparing for the winter retreat. I was um, uh, preparing, not actively preparing, but helping out with Bethlehem night. Uh, Pastor Joe was doing most of the work. Uh, and all these other stuff, preparing for the new year, it was just a crazy time in my life. So much going on. And Timothy happened to get a stomach virus. Uh, and we were, we were so scared because that's still when, you know, COVID was, you know, uh, it, it, was, it was concerning. It's concerning still, but uh, still, you know, we weren't sure if Timothy had COVID or was it a stomach virus. Thank God he didn't have uh, a fever, so we just assumed that it was a stomach, stomach virus. For a couple of days, though, uh, he couldn't eat well. He just threw up everything that he, he, he ate, and so, you know, he has no strength in his body, and, and so he's just sleepy all the time, and the doctor tells us, well, he needs to get rest, and so he can't be active, so what does he do? He watches cartoons. He watches YouTube videos, right? We normally don't show them that much, but, you know, the child can't do anything. So he's just watching video after video, and we're trying to feed him some stuff, but he's just barely eating anything. And after a while, doing that for a week, I noticed that something changed in Timothy's behavior, that he realized that if he asked for something, that mommy and daddy would do it for him because he was simply sick that he didn't have to eat the things that you know, mommy and daddy told him to eat. He didn't have to do the things that mommy and daddy told him to eat. He can basically do whatever he wanted. And so one day, uh, it was that afternoon, uh, I was just minding my own business. I'll be, I've been very patient up to this point, loving, generous, forgiving. And I'm having a conversation with Timothy. We already had a, a deep conversation in the morning. I told him, hey, don't disrespect your mom. That afternoon, we have another conversation. And, and so it, it, things weren't that great. Timothy comes to me, and he, he was eating something. I don't even remember what it was. But he gives me um, kind of uh, leftover food that he does not want to eat. And I don't know why, but at that moment, something inside of me clicked. I was like, I got to teach him a lesson. I got to let him realize that you can't just live above the law, that there is the law. And he's going to face the law today. So I don't know what I was going to do. I just knew that I had to do something because he was being so spoiled. I grabbed the trash bag, put all the Christmas gifts in the bag. One bag didn't seem enough. So the next bag I took out, I put all the toys that he liked in front of his eyes, and I'm obviously dropping things in the bag. I'm not saying a single word. I take those. I was about to throw it out, but, you know, I'm too lazy to go all the way to the dumpster. So I take it to his, his, his room, and, and I put it there. I just bring Timothy inside of the room. I wasn't sure what I was going to do, and I just started to dump everything right in front of his eyes to teach him that if you don't want to obey mommy and daddy, that's fine. You can live in your corner, or you can live outside of the household your way. Just know that you don't get to decide what you do if you're living under my authority. I didn't hit him. 
I didn't verbally abuse him. I simply wanted to teach him a lesson. Did I speak a little bit louder? Absolutely. Was my face a little bit scarier? Absolutely. Now, how do you think Timothy would have responded to that? Do you think he would have been like, oh, man, that's right. I'm, I'm so sinful. I, I made a mistake. I was so spoiled these days. No, I, 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 I should have listened to mommy. I shouldn't have disrespected daddy like that. No, I realized that I was in the wrong. You know, dad, thank you for teaching me a godly lesson. Thank you for teaching me how apart from God, you know, we are lost. You know, I'm so thankful that you are my dad. You are wise. You are gracious. I hope he would have responded like that, but he just says one word. That means in Korean, Dad, I hate you. What went wrong? I had good intentions. I wasn't trying to traumatize a kid. I really believed in Deuteronomy 6, how I should raise children and teach them that there is an authority above them, that they should submit to my authority. Uh, I wasn't trying to scar him for life. Um, I just happened to do things sporadically, so I didn't have a clear plan, so I just ended up dumping everything. Uh, but the things didn't, you know, the result wasn't what I expected. I come back for hours. Timothy doesn't want to even see me. And my wife, my poor wife, finally comes to me and says, uh, He's only three. <laughs> so what went wrong? You know, it's good that we have all these practical knowledge and biblical principles, but in the heat of the moment, you know what happens? All that gets thrown out. So what is wrong? Do we need more steps on how to become a better parent? Do we need more wisdom on how to execute God's word? I learned something very foundational that day, and it's this. Parenting is not hard. It's impossible. Parenting is not hard. It's impossible. It's impossible for two reasons. The first reason it's impossible is because children, they don't just have bad behavior, but they are sinful. Children are sinful. Parents often say, you know, my kid is so good. I mean, sometimes he just acts up, but he's a good kid. He's, he's really nice. He's a sweetheart. And that could be true from time to time, but what the Bible says about your child is that your child, the moment that he steps or she steps into the world, he or she has a heart condition where the heart is broken, the heart is messed up. Instead of desiring the things of God, that heart desires the things of the flesh. When Timothy says, you know, I want to have my way, when he says, I don't want to share with Irene, when he says, you know, things that, that are not true, I didn't even teach him how to lie, but one day I realized that he's lying to me. Did you take a nap today? Yeah. I asked his mom, no. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm like, where are you getting this? You know, even for Irene, who isn't even a year old, why is it that she doesn't want to eat sometimes? Why is it that she gets impatient when we're eating in front of her? Why is it that? There are different behaviors that are displayed, but the root issue is that a child wants to do whatever they want to do. And you know what that is? Sin. 
I don't care about what other thinks. I don't care what's going on around me. I want to do me. That is the definition of sin. And until you realize this, you will never make progress in your parenting. And this is true in discipleship as well. Until you realize the real issue that you're facing is not bad behavior, it's a bad heart, you will never make progress. You know why? Because when you set rules and you try to impose the law on your children, that can fix bad behavior for a season, maybe for a couple days, for a certain age, but it will never fix the problem of the heart. The law does not change the heart, grace does. And my question is, where was grace when I was doing all that to Timothy? It was absent. The children are driven by sinful desires. Proverbs twenty-two fifteen actually says this, foolishness, folly is bound up in the heart of a child. And that's why, by the way, the culture of self-esteem is so dangerous. And this has been around for a while. It's the belief that the best, best thing that you can do for your child is to make him or her believe that they are good, that they are worth it, that they are great, that they are unique, that they are powerful, that they can do anything that they want, they can have anything that they want. want. They have to think highly of themselves, that they have all this worth. If you simply believe in yourself that you will be happy, the solution is not outside of you. The solution is simply believing and recognizing how wonderful you are. And you know what that is? It's promoting a lifestyle of sin. We're teaching our children that basically you can do whatever you want to do. And you know what happens when they're raised for 18 years like that? When it comes time, when they hear the gospel, and someone tells them, you are sinful, that you need God, they're like, my dad and mommy did not say that. For 20 years, 18 years, they have lived a lifestyle of sin. And so it's so hard for them to break out of that mindset where I am the center of my universe. For me to be happy, I need to get what I want. Now, many children are raised in this lifestyle of sin, and we have to remember that what changes a child's heart is not the law, it's, not the law, it's grace. We have to go deeper. That means we can't just control their behavior. We have to expose something in their hearts. The second reason why parenting is impossible is because parents are sinful. It's not just children who are sinful. Parents are sinful and unable to do what's right in the eyes of the Lord. If someone would have asked me, no, if you have a child and the child looks like you and, you know, you have this connection, does it make parenting easy? I mean, I understand adoption might be hard, but you're, it's your own child. Isn't it easy for you to just love someone that looks like you? Well, just ask identical twins if they like each other. Uh, the answer is no. My honest answer is no. No, it's, it's not easy. Just because... You know, the mom gave birth to a child just because the child looks like the father. It doesn't make things easy. There is nothing natural about parenting. In my nature, I don't care about what other people think. I don't have the ability or the goodness in me to be patient with others. 
In my natural state, I don't tend to sacrifice my time and my energy for others. I easily get irritated. I am always self-focused. I could behave from time to time, but the reality is I'm more like my child than I'm unlike my child. The reason why I'm so mad is because there is sin inside of my heart. The reason why I get impatient with my children is not because I'm really trying to transform their behavior. It's because I want an easy life. If they would just play on their own, if they would just do things on their own for just an hour, I'll believe that there is a God, right? It will be awesome. That's my flesh. And I'm sure a lot of parents would agree that that's their flesh. The truth is, we are more like our children. And we need grace just like them. I love this one illustration that Paul Tripp gives in his book called Parenting. And it's one of the best resources that I, I encountered when it comes to parenting. Um, pretend that I have a bowl in my hand. And I fill it up with water. And I shake it pretty hard, left and right. What's going to come out of the bowl? Water. Right? Water's going to spill out. It's going to hit the floor. And if I asked you why did water come out of the ball, bowl, what would you answer? What would you say? Well, it's because you put water into the bowl. And you shaked it. A lot of people focus on the shaking part, right? It's the fact that you, 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 you shake the bowl, of course it's going to come out. But that's half true. The real reason why water comes out of the bowl is because there's water in the first place. If there was milk, even if you shake that bowl, it wouldn't be water that comes out. It would be, be milk that comes out. What I'm trying to say is this. Children are irritating. They can shake your life. They can get on your nerves. But what comes out of you at those hard moments is not driven by them. It's coming out of your heart. If your heart is filled with grace, when your, your life is shaken by other people, you know what's going to come out? Grace. If your heart is filled with love and your life is shaken, you know what's going to come out? Love. But the reason why anger, frustration, impatience, unkindness, the reason why those things come out when I'm irritated by my children, yes, they do shake my life, but the real reason is that that's who I am. That's what boiling inside of me. And when I had that moment with Timothy back in December, that's what I realized. That I've been trying to change this kid's behavior, neglecting the fact that I have to change his heart. And when I have to change his heart, I also realize that I'm so sinful that I don't have the ability to change his heart. And so the answer is, it is impossible to do parenting. But here's the good news. God does not make you a parent or call you to be a parent because you are able. He calls, calls, calls you to be a parent because he is able. He's not trusting in your ability to be a good parent. He's trusting in his grace so that you would have enough grace in times of trouble to endure all that is coming your way. And that's why in today's passage, Paul says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. What he's saying is speak truth to your child. Equip them. Train them. You have to teach them how to walk in wisdom and in truth. However, do it with grace. 
Don't spill out anger, but the way that you tackle this issue is so important. If I just cared to stop at that moment and ask Timothy, Timothy, how are you feeling right now? What's going on? Why are you mad? Why are you frustrated? You know, what, what, what's, what's bothering you in a way that you are not listening to mommy and daddy? Can you, can you tell me why? And if Timothy says, well, I want to watch TV. And I want, to, I want to eat what I want to eat. I want to do what I want to do. At that moment, what you did is you let him acknowledge the sin in his heart. And it's a teaching moment where you can tell him, Timothy, it's not the behavior. But same with daddy too. I have a desire to do what I want to do. I'm selfish in my ways. But what I realized is life when you just live according to your ways, it's really bad. God designed us in a way that we would follow his authority. And God placed me in your life so that you would follow my authority. The reason why mommy and daddy is telling you not to watch too much TV, we're telling you to eat certain vegetables, is because we care for you. We love you. And I want you to trust that. Would he understand everything that I just said? Probably not. But what is introduced in his life is that law is there, but grace is always present. Law exposes our sin, but grace allows us to overcome our sin. That is why it's so important in John chapter 1, it says that Jesus, he came with grace and truth. What Paul is saying, basically saying in verse 4 is this, when you raise your child, do it with grace and truth. How? Remember how I have treated you. Psalms 103:13 says this, As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. So the grace that we ought to display as fathers is actually the grace that God, the Heavenly Father, displays in our lives. Because there's two things that a child really, really wants. It's, uh, they believe in this lie. The first lie is autonomy. They believe that they can be independent. They believe that they can do everything. They believe that they have the right to do what they want to do. The second thing that they believe in, which is also a lie, is self-sufficiency. They believe that I can live and I can survive. I can actually thrive away from my parents. I don't have to listen to them. I don't have to follow them. I'll be okay. So autonomy and self-sufficiency, and the truth is that exists in every one of our hearts because that is the definition of sin. Us wanting to have our own ways, live in our own wisdom, do things the way that are pleasing to us. Autonomy, we want to be independent from God. Self-sufficiency, we want to be sufficient, not needing the help of God. Isn't that what the prodigal son did when he left the house. Father, I don't need you. Give my inheritance. I'll mind my own business. You are dead to me. And what God does to people who are so imposed, possessed by self-sufficiency and autonomy is instead of bursting out of anger, he sends his one and only son to die for their sins. And so that when they believe in this father, that their hearts will be restored so that now they don't have to live in anger and frustration, but now they can be ambassadors of God's grace, sharing that grace.
the children that just need that grace, just like them. So always remember, you might be a parent, you might not be. When God shakes your life, allows people, difficult people to come into your life, and your life will be shaken, although it stinks, notice that what comes out of you at that moment really is what's inside of you. And when God exposes your heart, he's doing that so that he can heal your heart. And so parenting, it's a lot, in my opinion, it's not really about changing your child. It's your child, God changing you through your child, that you learn so much, you grow so much. When I understand my inability to raise this child, that's when I go completely dependent on God. I say, God, give me grace. Give me mercy. I just need to survive today. I just need to, to work through today. I have don't have the patience. I don't have the, the goodness in me to hold on to these children. Help me, please. And when I get on my knees and pray that prayer, you know what God does? He reminds me of the cross. He says, the calling that I place in your life is simply the love that I displayed in your life. If you are a recipient of that grace, share that grace. So my prayer is that as parents, as spiritual parents, as people who are wanting to follow God, recognize that you're no different from a child. Rely on his grace. Run to him today. Allow him to change not just your behavior, but your heart. Notice that he is so gentle and loving. Some of you might say, I wish my parent would have listened to this sermon and done this for me. Notice that this is exactly what your heavenly father has done for you. And he did this not to change your behavior, but to change your heart. Let's pray.